We are creating a platform for those who are curious, one that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is the Working Artist Project. I think the first thing I learned when I started playing Hurlin's band regularly is that sometimes simplicity is the best thing. You know, what I also learned from Hurlin is that ultimately the most important thing you could do on the bandstand is have fun and make sure that the audience is having fun. You know, so it's like that that's something that I also try to achieve in my own band, in my own way, though, you know. Today on the Working Artist Project, I have the one and only Jason Weaver. Jason is a bass player that hails from the city of New Orleans, one of the greatest musical cities in the world, quite frankly. Jason has performed and is currently playing with Donald Harrison, Herlin Riley, Jason Marcellus, Ellis Marcellus, Delphio Marcellus, just to name a few. I had the privilege to talk to Jason about his newly released record, Boscoville. We also touched on his inspirations for creating music, his inspirations for writing music, what it's like to be a band leader versus being a sideman, growing up in New Orleans, living in New Orleans currently, and man, we got into so much stuff, just cultural identity and, and what it's like to be a musician in 2018. I know you guys are going to enjoy this episode of the Working Artist Project, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Today's guest is none other than the, the one and only Jason Weaver. Welcome to the Working Artist Project. Hey, what's up, man? <laughs> hey, thanks for having me, bro. Yeah, man. So, I, man, I want to start just by getting your story, man. You know, for all of those who don't know you, like, what is the story of Jason Weaver? Okay. Well, I've been, I, I started playing bass when I was 11. Um, I started playing at a local string uh, orchestra project well, was a program for kids. It was called the New Orleans String Project. So that's where I started playing in the upright bass. I've always played bass from the beginning. From there, you know, I was doing string orchestra in middle school and I joined the jazz band, which was my first exposure to jazz. We were playing in the big band, but we were trying to uh, get ready for the essentially Ellington competition, which I'm not sure if we actually, oh. I'm not sure if we actually entered that competition, but we were working on some dude. I think the one of the first charts they put in front of me actually was this one called Jack the Bear, which is like one of Jimmy Blanton's famous pieces that I definitely cannot play. <laughs> but uh, it made me like real curious about the music because I, I thought it was amazing, even though I couldn't do it. So after that. I, I started doing more jazz programs. I did the Louis Armstrong, the Louis Satchmo Armstrong Jazz Camp, and then I started going to the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts, where I attended high school. I started playing professionally after I graduated. I, I had a few gigs before I graduated high school, but really, my first—I feel like my first real professional call was when I was 18. And I just graduated from high school, and Delphio Marcellus called me randomly. I had not met Delphio. And he called me to play at this little place called the Old Point Bar 
on the West Bank every Saturday. So that's kind of when I feel like, you know, my professional career really started. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of, you know, that's a short version. That's a short version okay. of my story. <laughs> All right, if y'all want the long version, let me give you Jason's phone number. It'll be in the link. So you... <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> no, nah, man, but but you, you mentioned you got your own band. And I I want to get into that right away. You you got you just released your first uh, your first record as a leader. And yeah, it's, man. It's called Voscoville, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, I, uh, I released the record on March second, and we had our uh, album release party down here at Snug Harbor last week on March first. So the record is out. I've been working on getting this record out since 2016, mm-hmm. and it's finally available. So please go check it out. So what was the inspiration for this record? What like I want to get into it. Like what what first, what does Voscoville mean? Okay, so the Voscoville is the name of the neighborhood that I grew up in. Like so okay, so it's kind of like a sub neighborhood cuz the overarching neighborhood is called Gentilly in New Orleans. Okay. That's where I'm from. But within that neighborhood there are several other little smaller neighborhoods and the Voscoville is one of them. You know, that's that's where my mom's side of the family is from. And our family house is still there. We've been living in the same house on Parker Street back there for over 50 years. Wow. Um, so, my, right. So my grandparents lived in that house and they own that house. And now my mom lives in that house and owns that house. But also my uh, my aunt Deborah lives in the Bosqueville. Um, I have cousins that live around the corner from us my great aunt audrey lives around the corner from us you know i got family all back there you know just kind of wanted to wrap my hood a little bit <laughs> <laughs> you know and that, that's that's the meaning behind the title no i like that yeah like so on, on this record though what, what kind of inspired you know other than your neighborhood the, the individual songs that you start out with the resilient right the, you know the titles usually come later for me i normally just write like i'm having a similar problem now because i I'm kind of a streaky writer in that way. So, like, I write a bunch of stuff at once. Um, sometimes. The tunes on the Voscoville kind of came from, like, different periods in my life. You know, like, there was just, like, maybe one or two songs here, and then a couple of years later, two songs from that period. The Resilient in particular, like you, like you mentioned, I wrote that when I first started the band. I was looking... I didn't really have an opener for the, for the set, you know? Mm-hmm. And I want I wanted to come out burning. I knew that, and I wanted to you know I wanted to be exciting. So yeah, I mean I sat down and wrote that that song. The title came probably a couple months after that. You said you just mentioned like you you write you write songs based on the what's happening in your life at the moment. Like what are some of those things that are kind of inspiring you? Like you know then that you're going through that you're pulling from. It could be anything, man. Um, the second song on the on the album is called Ordinance, and I wrote when I wrote that. It was kind of a uh, there was there was like an interesting uh, interesting situation going on in New Orleans in terms of like how musicians were being treated in the places where they played music. Hmm. So basically, we we had a lot of people from out of town that would move into the French Quarter and then would start to complain about how loud it was. But that's like really part of the culture here, you know. Mm-hmm. So they were enforcing a sound ordinance at that time. Like literally, there were at one point there were police officers on Frenchman Street with decibel guns oh my god like measuring <laughs> how loud stuff was in new orleans you know for people who don't know like frenchman street uh is just a street with nothing but clubs you know it's a music venue in every door so there's, there's music coming out of every door you know what i mean 
Yeah, you know, it was, it, it was so wild, you know. So, I mean, I didn't set out to write a song about that. Mm-hmm. I just wrote that song during that time, okay. you know. And the mood of the song kind of kind of fit uh, the struggle of that whole situation to me, you know. Yeah. So, you know, like a lot of times it happens like that. You know, I'll, I'll go back and think about what was happening when I wrote it. Or maybe something that happened after I wrote that song that kind of evokes that feeling. And then I'll come up with a title. Also, like you know, what's what's dope about you is like, and a lot of other my friends who who decided to stay in New Orleans is like they you decided to develop your craft at home, when uh, so many jazz musicians in particular don't have that option. You know what I mean? So, so like, what what led you down that path, and and what do you have to say? Like, can you give some advice to maybe a guy in Oklahoma maybe trying to create a scene, so that he doesn't have to leave home and come to New Orleans or New York or Chicago? Well, you know, man, so, I mean, what it, what inspired me, I think, to, to even start a band, and particularly a quintet, man, I, you know, I had, I had heard, I heard, I heard some of Nicholas Payton's records from the 90s, mm-hmm. you know, uh, when he had that quintet with Tim Warfield and Anthony Wanzi and Adonis Rose, yep. um, and, uh, and uh, Ruben Rogers, yep. you know? Yeah. But what I didn't realize, man, until I heard some, you know, I heard some recordings that a good friend of mine had made uh, at that club I mentioned earlier, Snug Harbor. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that they were doing a lot of that in New Orleans. Right. You know, and it, it wasn't just Nicholas's group, too. You know, there, during that time, there were just like so many amazing artists in the city. Like Peter Martin was around and Bryce Winston was around and. You know, so many others that were like really pushing the boundaries. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wanted to, I wanted to start a band to try to reach that kind of level of musicianship. Because right. that was just so, like the first time I heard it, I, I remember it too. I was listening to a recording of them playing one of Anthony Wanzi's tunes called uh, Blacker Black's Revenge. Okay. And man, it was just so killing. That was, you know, and it was live and, and people were going crazy in the club. You know, I was like, man, like, okay, that's what I want to do. Yeah. So what happened, you know, I graduated from college and I kind of had a couple of months where I sort of took a break. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of chilling, but I was like, man, okay, I want to, you know, I want to really get something going. So I started a band, started my own band. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, within a couple of weeks of doing that, a couple of months of doing that, I got offered a gig, a weekly gig, at this place I used to play at a lot called Bacchanal Wine in the Bywater. Right. You know, I played there a couple of times with my band, and then the owner approached me and was and was really impressed with us, and he wanted us to continue playing on a weekly basis. So uh, I was all for it. You know, I was like, wow, okay, we're and I have a weekly gig now. Right. And the, the, what's special about that place is that they don't, they let you do whatever you want. <laughs> like, they, they want you to play your original music. Right. You know? Right. They want you to come up with your own arrangements. They want you to be pushing the boundary. I was like, man, this is the perfect situation to really learn some music mm-hmm. and really explore some music. So what I did, you know, I, I had some arrangements and I had some idea of what I wanted to play. So the first year was kind of us, kind of me like trying to figure out what exactly I wanted to do. You know, I knew I wanted to write, I knew I wanted to arrange, but I didn't have the skill set yet to really accomplish what I was going for. So I just started studying and transcribing uh, a lot, you know. And at first I was transcribing things I thought I should transcribe, but after a while it starts to play homework. And I, I didn't like that. I wanted to be having fun doing what I was doing. So I started transcribing things that I just naturally gravitated towards. So one of the first projects I did like this, I you know, I sat down and I transcribed a bunch of music from this anime cartoon show called Gundam Wing. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean it was like sort of random. Not it wasn't random for me, but like if you think about what I was doing, it's kinda of random. But you know, by doing that, it opened up my arrange, my arranging skills. You know, I had to, and my transcribing skills because it's like very detailed parts, and you know, it's not written for quintet. You know, especially a jazz quintet, and most of the stuff is like real heavy rock or like some of it's even like straight up classical music. Right. So it made me be really creative with my with my arrangements. So by doing that, I kind of started to, to develop my own style. So, I mean, I say all that to say, if I were talking to somebody that was in a small town like that, I would say, one, if you can, try to get, you know, a weekly or bi-monthly gig where you can have a regular place to play, mm-hmm. you know, music. And then when you do that, don't get trapped into playing the same material for too long. Right. Because yep. you want to you, you wanna keep the growth going. And for me, the way to do the way of doing that was to continue to transcribe and, and learn more arrangements. So, like after I did that, started studying composers that I like. So we did a lot of Morgan Miller's music. Oh, we yeah. did, you know, a lot of Stefan Harris's music. We did some Cedar Walton stuff. We did a lot of Wayne Shorter from uh, that album, The Suits There. Yep. You know, I had a few. I had some help too. There were a couple of cats that were, that were giving me records that they thought I should check out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would sit down and, and figure out which ones I liked, and then I would learn that stuff. It sounds like, man, you, you really just got in the shed with, with just with the whole situation. Like, you got in the shed with the band to play a lot of music, and you got in the shed to, like, develop your skill set. So I think cats have to realize, like, you, it takes time, and it's a process no matter where you live. And sometimes it's better if you live in a place where you can have the space to figure it out. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, we made the record after we had already been playing together for almost four years, you know. It wasn't like an overnight process. Um, It really took a long time to develop the sound, you know. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, it was def- it definitely, it, you're right. It definitely takes a lot of time. I want to talk about like being a band leader versus being a side man. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so maybe people don't really understand, like for musicians though, like they, there's one chair, there's a band leading chair, which is the chair you're sitting in now. And then as a rhythm section player, usually we're in the side man category, right? Right. So like, how would you say those two things compare and what are the differences and what have you learned from sitting in both chairs now? Well, I would say, so, I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, of course, the most obvious difference between being a band leader and a side man is that when you're leading, you you have the final say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think as a as a side man, what's important about doing that and being part of that process is that you learn like what the band leader wants and how to provide that to them. You know, and you do that by being in a lot of different situations. So, I, you know, before I even thought about leading the band, man, I played so many gigs as a sideman and just observing band leaders that I, that I really liked and respected and how they ran their bands. I think as a band leader, too, though, you have to you have to be willing to evolve and change. You know, when I first started the band. You know, I think I think I was probably a little too strict. Mm hmm about what I wanted from my assignment. <laughs> and I'm sorry if you talk to any of them, they could tell you. you know, sometimes <laughs> I would get upset yeah. because of something that was played or something, how, how something felt or something like that. That was very early on. Now I'm at a stage where like, I'm really doing my best to just trust their judgment. Mm. Right. Even if something doesn't necessarily go the way I want it to go. Right knowing that you know and it's it's like a respect thing too you know mm-hmm. it's like i respect them and i know them we've been playing together for so long that i trust that they won't lead me astray right so whatever they play now i try to say as little as i can and just let them express themselves i think it's still part of the process because if i didn't if i didn't go through the period where i was saying a lot and maybe we wouldn't have gotten to the sound that we're able to access now. Right. So it's it's a it's a real give and take. You know, you have to. I just feel like you have to constantly be open, and and maybe sometimes not. You know, it's it's very it's very hard to explain it without experiencing it. <laughs> you know, like I would say, do both. I think we're we're in an interesting situation now with with the internet and like instant gratification, where people come out of school. And immediately they're like, I'm going to be a band or band leader. Right. And but but you can't do a job without experience. So it's like you don't even know how to lead a band. So you so if you're in a band or you're attempting to be a band leader and you're 21, 22, 23, take some time, like Jason just said, to be in someone else's band, be in 50 other people's bands so you can learn, you know, the good and the bad. You know what I mean? Because yeah, it just makes things easier going forward. Like it's okay. Like you have plenty of time to to be and do your own thing, being in all types of different situations, <laughs> the good and the bad. Like <laughs> I know, man. Yeah, I feel you. Because yeah. you never know when you're gonna use those what you learned in that situation. You never know when you're gonna use it. But more more times than not, something will come up. You'd be like, you know what? I'm ready for that because I, I experienced that already. Right. I was on such and such a gig. This happened. And I remember what I didn't do right. <laughs> now I'm I'm a, I'm a fix it, you know. Right, right. <laughs> you know, or I remember what worked, and I'm gonna do that again. Exactly. You know, it's yeah. yeah. Experience is is priceless, man. The whole thing is a process, man. Like, earlier, you you mentioned uh, you mentioned almost everybody on my list, but I want to talk about some of the people that you have had the opportunity to play with. 
And I want to start with somebody we both had an opportunity to play with together. And uh, that's Jason Marcellus. And I just want to know what you've learned from each person that we talk about and maybe kind of tell some stories that, you know, that go with those lessons or not. Well, you know, I think from Jason, man, I think I learned that sometimes being specific is very important about, you know, what you want in your music. Because Jason is the type of guy that knows what he wants. Mm-hmm. Also, though, I mean, um, I, I think the most important thing I learned in Jason's band is that any kind of music is game when it comes to playing swing. Yep. You know, you can take anything, literally anything, and apply it if you if you take time to think about it and figure out how to make it work. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, I've, you know, we, we both seen him so many times. It's like, take a wildest tune. Like I've seen him play this tick red tune called the game maker as a trad tune. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I was like, I don't understand how that works, (laughs) but it makes sense that he was, he would be able to make this work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he's like the master at proving what Duke said, you know, it's only two types of music, good and bad, you know? Yeah, no doubt. So. Next on the list, we got the one and only Hurlin Riley. I think the first thing I learned when I started playing Hurlin's band regularly is that sometimes simplicity is the best thing, especially as a bassist. You know, sometimes you don't have to play too much to really get the the feeling of the tune. You know, what I also learned from Hurlin is that ultimately the most important thing you could do on the bandstand is have fun and make sure that the audience is having fun. Yeah. Because that's the thing about playing with Hurling, like, you know, you can look out in the audience and people are smiling, <laughs> you right, know, right, right. and people are having a good time. Like, you know, every every time I play with him, it's, it's always the same. He just knows how to bring joy out of people. Mm-hmm. So it's like that. That's something that I also try to achieve in my own band, in my own way, though. Exactly. What about uh, Donald Harrison? I think the most important lesson so far I've learned from him is that the, the study and the dedication to the craft it just never it never ends man because that's that's who he is he's constantly studying man he's always it's it's never ending and the amount of information the amount of music that he knows it's incredible man he's played with so many different masters in each of the respective genres Mm. whether it's jazz whether it's r&b whether it's latin music i mean it's, it's just you know classical music I played a gig with him last year where, you know, he had wrote two movements, two movements for an orchestra. Like he he wrote it all. Wow. That's incredible, man. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it keeps me in the shed just being around him because. And it's, all, it's always been like that. You know, Donald was one of my mentors when I first when I was in high school, you know, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, it was it was it was like that then and it hasn't changed. Yeah, he, he really is incredible, man. Yeah, man. See, like, th- th- those stories that, you know, it's important for people to know, like, you know, for you, for anyone to achieve a certain amount of success, then you have to learn from someone, you know, and you've been in a position to learn from three. Th- those are just three masters, and there's many more people that you've, I'm sure you've had uh, great experiences with that we just don't have time to mention everyone, you know. But th- mm-hmm. th- those were some some heavy things that you just said there what i want to talk about next is kind of like your vision for your life man and this is kind of heavy also oh, wow. <laughs> but i'm finding I'm, I'm trying to do some research 
on, on all my guests and just trying to see if they have if people have this common theme or not. And I'm just wondering if you had a vision for your life, like, you know, or are you the type of person that's just kind of letting it happen as it goes along? Mm-hmm. I'm telling like everybody else, you know, I've had phases in my life where I've been like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. But man, you know, you never know what to expect from life. You know, what, what kind of experiences you might have. You know, I'm at a point right now. I'm, I honestly don't know at the moment. Um, I mean, like, of course, I know music will always be a part of my life. And I mean, like, professionally, I have some some goals, you know. Right, of course. Of course, and of course, in my in my other parts of my life, I also have goals. But I'm trying to be a little flexible, you know, a little more flexible in the past. Like, I'm, I'm just some honestly, like, I'm trying to take more time off, mm-hmm. like, just to enjoy things, you know, to actually some like actually take a vacation every now and then. Yep. You know, and go experience the world. Like of course, you know we we all have to work hard all the time, but I I feel like I'm I'm learning for me personally. Like I need that time away from music sometimes. Yeah, just to kind of decompress and and just enjoy what's happening around me in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I sometimes it was hard to get a, to really enjoy the moment. Mm-hmm. You know what I was doing because I was always thinking about what's next. Right. You know yeah. so. I think right now, you know, in my life at this moment, I'm just trying. I'm trying to learn how to enjoy what's happening around me, yeah. you know, now. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's deep, man. I remember, but of course, I'm looking to the future. Yeah, of course, of course. You, you know, it's it's a it's a balancing act, right? Yeah, I always think about when people talk about being in the moment. This thing that Terrence Blanchard said, you know, he he, I heard him say that you have to get out of your own way. And to me, that just means like learning to always totally be uh, in the moment. You know, and you know the the person. Yeah. Oh, another person who inspires me is is Brianna Thomas because Brianna is like the most in the moment human being that I know. <laughs> Shit is crazy. <laughs> like, you know, she's like Buddha, man. Like this, she's just like right there in that moment, and and it comes across in her music. It comes across when you're having dinner with her. You know what I'm saying? Like everything she does is like totally just about this time that she's spending with you right now, and it's that's hard to achieve. You know? Yeah, man. Because I mean, there's so much that's there's so much going on in each of our lives, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many things that we have to think about, things that we're worried about, things that we're anticipating to happen, you know, things that we're looking forward to. Right. Yeah, sometimes you just got to slow down, I think, and just take a breath, yeah. you know. Don't worry about that student loan payment, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe for like 10 minutes. Right. <laughs> Man, nah, so we're we, we coming up on a segment of the show where I, it's, it's, I call it the word game. Okay. And so what happens is I say a word and you say the first story that comes to your mind after I say that word. All right. <laughs> all, right all right. Let's do it. All right. Alter ego. Alter ego. Okay. Um. So, yeah, I mean, this one, you know, it's a title of one of the tracks on my album. But, you know, around that time in my life, I felt like I was a different person when I was on stage versus where I when I was off, when I was like just being a human. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> You know, um, for me, I mean, it was just part. This is this is just part of my journey. You know, mm-hmm. I think. You know, for me, I was a lot more con- like a lot more a more confident person on stage because I was more familiar and more familiar with what was going on. You know, sometimes when you get on gigs, there's a certain order to it. Right. That's that that can be comforting. Mm-hmm. But once you get off that stage, you know, it's like it's life. 
right. <laughs> you know, you you in it and anything can happen, you know. That's kind of what the meaning of the song is. Like, you know, it my me being on stage was my alter alter ego. Maybe it was a part of me that I wish I could accent more in my everyday life. Um, at that time in my life, yeah. I feel like I'm getting better with that though. Gumbo. Oh man. Okay, so yes, yeah, I'm I'm from New Orleans. We eat gumbo, but not <laughs> not like every day. That's not, it's not like we eating gumbo for breakfast every morning. I'm just gonna put that out there. But my story about gumbo though, I went to my uh, my aunt Donna's house. She was living in New Orleans East at the time with her uh, husband Myron. Man, he man, he cooked this pot of gumbo. It was man, it had to be I think it was like one or two o'clock in the morning. I, I think I ate three bowls of gumbo. <laughs> it, it was so good, bro. Oh. I couldn't stop. It was like I just yeah, I just couldn't stop, man. Wow, wow. That's funny, man. Okay. I've I've seen you eat gumbo at least a hundred million times. Just just saying, y'all. <laughs> yeah, all right, Darian. <laughs> oh man. Uh, virtuosity. Oh man, it's hard. It's hard not at life as a basis when that word comes up. It's hard not to think of Kristen McBride. Mm-hmm. Like immediately, I had an opportunity to see him play. I haven't seen him play that much, but he was in Baton Rouge playing a tribute to Ray Brown, actually, with uh with Benny Green and Greg Hutchinson. I got a chance to see him do that, and man, it was just watching him just play this amazing stuff on the bass man it was just you know vocabulary amazing bass lines and it looked effortless and he was doing it with a smile he was having fun man i, I just that when that word comes up i think i usually think about that so wow that was one of the best examples of that that i've seen yeah i like that yeah that's dope man christian's christian is like just oh, phenomenal you know right. <laughs> This is phenomenal. It's, it's like a cat on every instrument that you're just like, wow, dude. Should I should I just stop? Because <laughs> <laughs> like how yeah, how, how is he playing Cherokee this fast? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's just crazy, man. Man. So we're, we're coming to the end. I got a few more questions, but I, I want, do want to get into. I think it's important to talk about challenges and like in music and in life, but in changing directions because sometimes in music the direction needs to change or just in your career. Mm-hmm. And so have you come across that in your life, you know, to this point? And if so, like, how did you kind of navigate that? You know, well, musically in terms of direction, it it may, you know, like personally it may have changed, you know, like slightly. I think the biggest change recently, I, you know, playing in Donald's band, I have to, I have to play electric bass, mm-hmm. which I hadn't been doing a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, up until I had, until he started calling me. So that's been the biggest shift, uh, I think in the past year is having to deal with, it's like really approaching it as a different instrument because that's how it feels to me. Right. But, you know, because of that though, it's, it's, it's helped me access some different sounds compositionally that, that I was, I've always been kind of hearing, but never really took the time to kind of make happen you know like i started i started another band that i call outliers it's like you know like i used to do a lot of kind of like music production stuff on the side like in in logic and reason before that that i would just do for fun 
but I, w- I kind of wanted to start playing some of that stuff. And what ended up happening, I started writing new compositions that were kind of based on that style. Wow, okay. So, like, the new band is like, you know, I'm basically playing electric bass the whole time. I have electric guitar. I have saxophone with effects, uh, you know, synthesizers, percussion, and you know, drums. But yeah, you know, I, I sometimes the direction changes, but like not for me personally, it hasn't changed that much. Mm-hmm. I think that's been the biggest shift. That that's all. Okay, cool. Yeah, man. I, I was also trying to allude to like sometimes um as a young musician when you you know did the musical change but also maybe a band leader will decide not to use you anymore you know mm, oh well and, yeah i guess yeah and so like when that happens or or maybe you decide not to work with the band leader anymore you got a, a gig you got a band leader that you really like playing with but then you got this other gig with an uh another band leader who's cool but they're paying you twice as much you got mm. these bills to pay right what are you gonna do like and how do you make those how do you make those types of uh decisions yeah okay so i definitely i mean we i'm pretty sure we've you know every musician hope you know probably has experienced that at some point i I definitely have yeah there was one band i was touring with pretty heavily for a while and i'll never forget this it was a guitarist banjoist in the band older guy Mm mm-hmm his, uh, and he was telling me, you know, we were just talking and he was like, man, you know, you just got to be prepared because every gig ends at some point. Right. It's just the nature of business. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, you know, just like the, you know, it's the nature of all things. They come to an end. So you just have to, I would say, like for me, it was, I, I, I always try to have like a plan B. I don't, I try not to put all my eggs in one basket just because you never know what might happen, yeah. you know? Yeah. So you want to be professionally. I want to make sure that I'm still able to work. Even if I'm not doing this one gig that, you know, that's the, my focus at the time. Exactly. So I've had, you know, I've had, I've had times where I've been fired, but because of that mindset, I've still been able to, to support myself because I, you know, there are other gigs. Maybe they aren't as prestigious, but I can still go and, and do that in the meantime until something else comes up. But now I'm kind of, you know, right now I'm trying to change that drastically by having my own project. Mm. You know, I'm trying to create work for myself. Mm-hmm. You see? Yep. So that way I'm not dependent on the phone ringing, you know, for a gig. Right. Exactly. So I can try to create my own work. Yes. And, you know, it's a hard process, but and it's going to take time, you know, even more time than it already has. But that's. You know, that's kind of how I'm preparing for that situation. Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> and it's free. It's free. You getting this for free, man. This shit is crazy. Man, I'm going to start charging y'all motherfuckers, man. But, uh, <laughs> no, but for real. Yeah, man, that, that's great, man. I, I agree with that, all of that 100%, man. But this is the end, man. And, and before we go, though, I do want to ask you one more question. And it's what are the three things that you're most thankful for? Man, I'm thankful. I'm of course. I mean, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my friends in my life, and I, I'm always thankful for music um, because it's presented me with so many opportunities, you know. And um, 
you know, the more you give to it, the more it gives back. So, yeah, I want to give you an opportunity to um, plug the CD again, your website, any shows you got coming up, or anything you want. Generally, you just want people to know about my debut album, The Voscoville, is available now on iTunes. Go listen to it on Spotify. You can go to CD Baby. Whatever digital distribution that you use, it'll be there. My website is www.jasonweaver.com. That's Jason spelled J-A-S-E-N. And uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jason underscore Weaver. And my next my next big gig that's coming up with my band, we're uh, debuting at the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival on May 5th at 11.15 a.m. We will be there. So if you're in town, come check us out. There it is, man. So yeah, man, Jay, thanks for coming on the Working Artist Project. Thanks for having me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Go later. If you like what you heard, you know what to do. Hit that subscribe button. The Working Artist Project is brought to you by Second Line Arts Collective. Find out more at secondlinearts.org. I'm Darian Douglas, and this is the Working Artist Project. Thank you.